Now is the time you worship. Come. Now is the time to give your heart. Come. Just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God. Come. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. Come. Now is the time to worship. Come. Now is the time to give your heart. Come. Just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God. Come. Willingly we choose to render our lives. Willingly our knees will bow. With all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God. Come. 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 You guys can be seated. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you have been with us from the beginning. And you have been with your people from the very beginning. And that which we have broken by our sin and our rebellion, you have set right with your work. By your grace and your mercy, we are healed. And it is through your spirit that we are strengthened and we walk. Lord, that you would apply that truth to our hearts and our minds. That we would think wisely in this world, discerning between true and false, and following that which is good. Being the people called by your name, progressing to your eternal home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
there's an endless song echoes in my soul. I hear the music ring, and though the storms may come, I am holding on to the rock I cling. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to see. I will lift my eyes in the darkest night. For I know my Savior lives, and I will walk with you, knowing you'll see me through, and sing the songs you give. How can I keep from singing your praise? How can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to sing. I can sing in the troubled times, sing when I win I can sing when I lose my step and fall down again I could sing cause you pick me up sing cause you there I can sing when you hear me Lord when I call to you in prayer I can sing with my last breath sing for I know that I'll sing with the angels and the faith around the throne how can I keep from singing your praise how can I ever say enough how amazing is your love? How can I keep from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart. I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart. I am loved by the King. And it makes my heart want to see. Whoa, I can see. I can see. We actually have good news this week. Woo! All right, so Mike's back is a little bit better. He was just here. 
He was, but he, he does still exist. He didn't get raptured. He's not the only one who made it. <laughs> so, so Mike is feeling a little bit better and moving around, although he can't stop hurting himself. So now it's the shoulder and the arm, but I'll let you ask him about that. Um, Judith is doing well. Surgery went okay. She's sore. They uh, took out the gallbladder and fixed the hiatal hernia. So, which that's that's just a fun afternoon. So, <laughs> be in prayer for her as she recovers. Um, Jimmy and Renee are back. Hi. They brought warm weather with them, apparently. That or the cold weather is coming tomorrow. Followed you because they were in Texas. So, either way. Um, we have church council today after service, so council, please hang around. We actually have like a short list of stuff we got to go through, some important things. So church council, hang around. That means, and I'm warning you now, business meeting is next week. So plan your lunch, Sam's orders, and Walmart trips accordingly. I think that covers everybody. I did it right. Somebody's sticking their tongue out at me. All right. Anything else I am forgetting? Feels like there's something, but I have no idea what it might be. So going once, going twice. I've gr I brought my bulletin with me, so I can remember to do the trivia question. Oh, oh, something popped up. I didn't say sold. Yes. So, remember, we're having lunch, the 28th. Same. Yes. Can't That's forget that important food. Exactly. 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 We are Baptists. There must be food. So, fourth Sunday every month. So, you've been reminded. It's in your bulletin. So, there you go. Bring snacks. <laughs> I actually remembered my bulletin because I forgot to do the question last week. So you guys are just on your own, but you're smart people. You can figure that out, right? 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 Okay. Melchizedek was king of what city when he blessed Abraham? Salem. Salem. Now, why is that an important city? What other name do you know Salem Jerusalem. by? It is Jerusalem. It was. Now, Hebrews borrows Melchizedek, or I'll never forget the first time I said that out loud in a Bible study for adults. And one of the men looks at me and goes, that's how you say that. How were you saying it? We just thought it was like a burger or something, milk cheese dick. Mm. <laughs> no, <laughs> you can't order that. So I'm not making this up. Cameron was there when that happened. She can vouch for it. I wasn't going to throw under the, I wasn't going to throw the who under the bus. I was trying to give somebody a little bit of grace there. So no, Hebrews explains Melchizedek because when he shows up, he is a king but he is also priest of God most high. Hmm, very interesting. And Abraham, who is representative of the people of God, offers to Melchizedek a tithe of the spoils of war. Once again, very interesting. Hebrews gives you the rundown on this and helps explain it to you. Melchizedek is a priest according to an order not of Levi. That is why Jesus of the tribe of David can be rightful heir of the throne and high priest. He is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. But just as Melchizedek is a guy and is not the priest, who is the priest? Christ is the one without beginning, without end. He is high priest forever. So I think the lesson from this is, if you want to understand Melchizedek, read the book of Hebrews. It will do you good. So there you go. Don't say it out loud. Don't. <laughs> what Jewish group did Paul belong to before his conversion? Yes, it's easy. Reason for the question. I even said, yes, I know you know this. That isn't the point. <laughs> Always remember, the goal of these trivia questions is not so you can sit there and go, I shall win Bible version of Trivial Pursuit. Um, 
It is not so you can be the phone a friend on who wants to be a millionaire when the Bible question comes up. The goal is to help you start to see connections in your Bible, how beginning and middle all work together. So, reason for the question, do some research. I'm a terrible pastor. I want you to read your Bibles. I'm an awful person. I understand that. All right. Anything else I'm forgetting? Last chance. In that case, short today. I took a half an allergy pill today, so I'm not itching to death. But I'm not taking the one that makes me itch. So I managed to go four days last week without a pill. I was so proud of myself. And then I woke up and thought I was going to rip my own skin off. <laughs> so I had to take one. So, yes. So hopefully we're going to survive and get through this. We can do it. Which, again, because I'm having another good hair day. So I want to make sure I don't scratch too much. <laughs> All right. All of that said, I'm going to get out of the way so we can stand and continue to sing. Our God is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. From heaven above with wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love, our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, he reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God, he reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. I know your life on earth was troubled and only you could know the pain 
you weren't afraid to face the devil. You're no stranger to the rain.
go rest on that mountain sun your work on earth is done go Praise Jesus. Trying to figure out what was reverberating in the system. Sorry for that. <laughs> if you didn't hear it, good congratulations. That's why I went running, though. Because I could hear it and... I know if I can hear it, it's going to get worse, so. All right. Get everything situated. I have stuff this morning. We're going to have visual aids later. It's going to be a good day. If you behave yourself, there might be snacks. <laughs> there you go. Not making any promises, but there might be snacks later. We are in Exodus. We are making our way through chapter 16. There shall be no weird animatronic reptile references today. And if you don't remember what I talked about last week at the beginning, then you're better off because lucky I remember what I talked about last week. So what we will get to, though, is the fulfillment and more warnings. Yay! When in doubt, give the people a warning, right? But we are going to also have provision from God and some really cool things in the midst of that. So I will have fun if nothing else. And as we all know, that's all that matters, right? <laughs> so hopefully we'll make sense of this as we go. I think there's some applicable truth here as we can make our way through. So let's read Exodus 16, 9 through 21. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. It came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? 
for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat and shall, if I could read, you shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat, but when the sun grew hot, it would melt. Believe it or not, good, deep, rich theological truths. They're actually really easy to figure out, so we're going to work through that and go. So back to the beginning, verse 9. Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. Where have we seen this formula before? Moses isn't speaking to the people. He's speaking to Aaron. Aaron is then speaking to the people. I don't know if this has been going on the whole time, but we are specifically told this. This goes back to your Exodus formula, all the way back to chapter 4. The anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Remember, because he kept making excuses as to why he couldn't go and speak to Pharaoh. And he said, is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him, put the words in his mouth, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people, and he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as God to him. Now, when we did that, how did that end for Egypt? <laughs> yeah, not well. Why will this be different? These are the questions you have to ask as you work yourself through the Bible to understand what's going on, who's doing it, and why they are doing it. So, verse 10. It came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness. This happened to everybody look out towards the, towards the desert. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. To which all God's people said, uh-oh. Because we've got the command, we're going to speak, and as we're speaking, God's going, you know what? I'm just going to show up myself. That never ends well. You ever had that moment? You need to tell them, and then when they're in the middle of telling them, you interject yourself into the conversation. <laughs> you never do that because you're in a great mood, right? Now, remember a couple of lessons here. One, do not think of God as your dad reaching into the back seat when you misbehaved. Okay? When we talk about the wrath of God, we have a tendency to think about the wrath of God as you're in the backseat ducking and dad's doing what? I'm going to get somebody who did something. See, this is where you that had siblings were so blessed. I was an only child. I mean, there was, there was only one to go for. There weren't multiple targets. It just didn't end well. Not like that. It is measured, it is appropriate, and it is under control always. That's the first thing. The second thing we have to make sure we get right today, as we mentioned last week, I want to remind you of it again this week. There are two presences of God. There is the presence of God to curse and to judge, yes, but there is also the presence of God to bless and to redeem. This is what separates the us from the not us, or as I like to say, them, those that are not us. That's how you know who they are. Israel in their wilderness wandering, Israel in their pre-kingdom years, 
Israel in their kingdom years, Israel in the exile, Israel in their return, and Christians today, congratulations, on a regular basis experience both presences of God. The one to judge and to discipline and the one to bless and to uplift. Now, when will they occur for your life? I have no earthly idea. You know who has to figure that out? You do. You do. It's your life. What is God doing? Is he disciplining me? Is he strengthening me? Is he refining me? Is he purifying me? And the answer is yes. You have to figure out your life based on your walk and your sanctification. Israel is supposed to do the same, which is why they will be a great lesson to us. Because you know what they're going to do most of the time in mass? <laughs> Get it wrong. And I probably shouldn't say that. Well, no, no, I definitely shouldn't say that with as much glee as I do. But at the same token, we've been reminded for the last two weeks, why is God tolerating this sinful people in the wilderness? As a lesson to all of his sinful people wandering, whether they're in the wilderness or not, until he come, comes back or calls us home. It's a lesson on how he deals with people, the grace that he extends, and the refining work that he does. Paul picks up on this when he realizes both presences for Israel. Romans 11. Behold, the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. He's talking about the branch that has been grafted back together, the wild root grafted in. That's us, by the way, into the tree that is Israel. There were those that were cut off, those in the wilderness that fell. Jude mentions this. And then there are those that are grafted in, both kindness and severity. Presence of God to judge, presence of God to bless. So... We continue, verse 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. All right, Whitney Houston, how will they know? Other than if you didn't sing that in your head, then you're, I'm not sure we can be friends. How will I know if he really loves me? Okay, there we go. Anytime bad 80s references come into my head, they must be sung out loud so that you too may be tortured with the insane musings. Now, how will this prove it to them? Now, other than the fact that they should already know, right? I mean, we've had the Red Sea. We've had the destruction of Pharaoh. We've had the plagues. We've had, we've had all. If there's ever a people that should be standing in the wilderness going, we already know that Yahweh is God and that Yahweh can redeem and that he will rescue us. It should be this people, but they're busy scarlet O'Hearing things in the wilderness. And I, I won't do that to you again. I, I will not break out the scarlet O'Hara impersonation. But you, you, shall, you are blessed. You're welcome, by the way. No, they will know because of the work that he is doing continually. Exodus 4 is your reminder of this. If they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. See, choking, literally, on my own words. We made mention of this. This is the work they're going to continue to do. This is the work that God is going to continue to do. And that is why this will be a proof. This is how he demonstrates himself. Remember, this is a lesson not just to Israel, but to everyone else. That's why we call it foreshadowing. John chapter 5. The testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. 
could God have led them somewhere where there was food? Well, yes. We say this like, you know, it's a complicated thing. So does that mean when God leads them by a path that leads to no food, was that, was that a mistake on God's part? No, he didn't mess up. He didn't mistakenly drop them in the wrong place. He brought them where they are supposed to be so that he may demonstrate his power, so that this lesson could be carried forward, so that, believe it or not, Christ could stand amongst the people and talk about the bread that God gave. Catch that. It wasn't the bread that Moses gave you. It was the bread that God gave you. That was a work to prove God, not to prove Moses, just like the work that Jesus has done is meant to prove what? That he is God. That's why you see again, John 10. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world? He's talking about himself. You are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. This is one of the lessons of the New Testament, specifically also of the Gospel of John. If I come to you and say, I can walk on water, what are you going to say? Prove it. What will prove that I can walk on water? I'm going to go out to that creek out there and do what? Start walking, you know, go out to the little pond over there, find the river. I mean, if I can make birds fly out of the carpet, you're going to be like, well, I got my net, where, where are the birds at? Same thing with Jesus. Claims to be God. You don't get to make that claim. We, we call the men with the white coats and the nets and the jackets that zip in the back for people that claim to be God, right? So why does Jesus get away with it? Because he does the works that only God can do. He declares the things that only God can declare. He proves it. You're seeing God prove his attributes, his nature, who he is in front of the people. Now, this is where it gets fun. Christian, is that where we should rest? On proof. See, you guys are so spiritual. You, <laughs> you're, giving, you're giving me the good Sunday school. Of course not. We're, we're far too spiritual to, to, be, to, to be cast down with simple proofs. What's wrong with you? All right. I will jokingly say that because I think you can actually say yes and no, depending on who's asking and depending on why they're asking. good example of yes would be in the Gospel of John in chapter 20. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Remember, Jesus did this once, but Thomas wasn't there, and so Thomas said what? Unless he comes in, and I see him, and I touch him, and I put my hands in the holes that they left, uh-uh. And he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. You know that just had to be creepy, right? You just know that. And put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. <laughs> There's no more helpless feeling than when the phone is making noise. And you're like, I'm hitting the button and it won't stop. <laughs> no more helpless feeling than that. Because you can't move fast enough. And the faster you move, the more you mess it up. <laughs> now, Thomas gets away with that, but the lesson from Jesus is what? Not blessed are you because you saw and believed. Everybody who sees should what? Should believe. But those who don't see, they are blessed for believing. Now, here's where I say yes and no. Ultimately, your scripture and your sanctification fill in for your proof. You weren't there. You didn't see bread fall from heaven, did you? You didn't see the Red Sea part. You didn't see Jesus walk on water. 
You didn't see Paul get stoned and dragged out to the city basically dead and walk back in. You didn't see the kid fall out the window and die, and Paul's like, get up, and the kid got up. You didn't see all of that. Your Bible and your sanctification fill into that gap. Second Peter chapter 1. We have the prophetic word made more certain, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. See, the accusation that gets lobbed all the time is, how dare you presume to know what God thinks and says? What do you mean, how dare I? You wrote it down. That's not presumptuous, that's reading. You know, we teach this to elementary school children for a reason. It's not presumption, it's understanding. Beyond that, though, Number one question people ask when they start having problems, when they start being unable to differentiate the two presences of God, is how do I know? How do I know that I am secure? How do I know that I am saved? It's not an aisle. It's not a prayer. It's not water. It's not anything. It is sanctification. The fruit of your life lived in Christ is your proof. That's one of the reasons, again, why I say yes and no. Do you believe because you've seen? No. But do you believe because you have seen as you look back on your life? And the answer is yes. So it depends on who's asking. depends on why they're asking. This is one of the encouragements that you should have. You should be able to look back on your life 10, 20, 30, 40 years if God gives you that grace to live that long. To see that progress in sanctification and go, yes, look at that good news. Look at where I was and look at where I am. Now, am I celebrating me? No, I'm celebrating the work that God has done, the things that he has accomplished. But I'm seeing that as a proof that he is doing and he is accomplishing because I know me, and I know me then, and I know me now, and I know those aren't the same guy. So something is different. Good news. See, that becomes my proof. That becomes my foundation that I can begin to build on and stand on in my life. So we continue. It came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Hey, this is fun. We got meat and nice weather. Because if the dew point is set properly where you know, the dew actually fell, it means it wasn't too cold in this part of the world. Because in this part of the world in the desert, that's actually a concern in the evenings, that it gets too cold. The dew point drops below you know, zero, and it's miserable. I actually checked for the uh, Sinai Peninsula this week. I think the dew point is six Celsius, which is cold. <laughs> that's like in the 40s cold and it's a desert and there's nothing there so they got some nice weather and they also got some meat now in case you're just thinking well you know weather can just be nice and birds can just you know fly from wherever psalm 78 he caused the east wind to blow in the heavens and by his power he directed the south wind when he rained meat upon them like the dust even winged fowl like the sand of the seas then he let the then he let them fall in the midst of their camp round about their dwellings so they ate and they were full and their desires he gave to them. Nehemiah also, Nehemiah 9. You provided bread from heaven for them in their hunger. So this isn't just, you know, nice weather and birds happen to show up at the same time. This is God directing the weather, God directing the animals. And when the layer of dew evaporated, this is 14, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. Nothing weird about that at all, is there? Happens every day, right? Exactly. Hence, when, uh, 15, when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? <laughs> and you know they do, and you're like, 
Moses, what is it? No, it's kind of like, what is it? I have, I have questions. What is that? For they did not know what it was, and Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. I've described a lot of things as bread in my life. Flake-like thing on the ground after the dew has melted is not one of those things. What do you mean it's bread? Numbers 11. The manna was like coriander seed in its appearance like that of delium. I don't know what delium is, and I didn't look it up, so... The people would go about and gather it and grind it between two millstones or beat it in the mortar and boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. And its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. I don't know if that sounds good or not. I haven't really decided yet. Maybe it depends on how hungry I am and how many days I've been walking in the wilderness, right? Now, again, why provide bread this way? Could God not have sent a caravan of traders to, you know, sell them some flour and give them some bread? Yeah. Could God have led them to a place where they could have picked and gotten bread? Yeah. Showing power. And also remember, haven't done this in a while. Ooh, we get to remind you of stuff. We have our two timelines, right? Watch this. Well, I'll use the little string on my, on my little bookmark in my Bible. We have two timelines, right? The straight line timeline. Moses, Aaron, Israel walking in the desert doing stuff. But we then have God above that timeline, pointing forward, accomplishing things in the here and now that will matter later. Things like John chapter 6. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who, has, who he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. What was the true bread? Yeah, it wasn't manna, it was Jesus. What's the foreshadowing here? God provides the need. Now, time out. If you are Israel, three days into the wilderness with nothing to eat, what do you think your biggest need is? Food. If you are reading your Bible and going relatively quickly, what is humanity's biggest need? God and overcoming of sin. What has wrecked everything? Why are they hungry? Because there's a desert. Why is there a desert? Think about that. Why is there a desert? Because the garden has been lost. The earth is bringing forth thorns and thistles. It's trying to kill us. Why can't you just go out to this beautiful, clean water and drink? You're like, wait a minute. What's this beautiful, clean water of which you speak? Have you seen our rivers? I mean, we made this joke this morning. A comedian 20 years ago when I was living in Connecticut, I was probably 30 years ago now, was making a joke. It's about the dying of the Chicago River green for St. Patrick's Day. And I agree with them. I have this question, too. If they can dye it green for St. Patrick's Day, why can't we dye it blue the rest of the year? <laughs> At least then it'll look like water. <laughs> You're laughing. You've been down there to see that water, right? Does it look like something you want to swim in? No. I grew up on Long Island Sound. When I lived in Connecticut, we lived on the southwestern portion of Connecticut, and I lived in a little house that was about this tall. I'm not even kidding. It was made of it was stucco-covered cinder block. <laughs> but we were... 
300 yards from the beach at Long Island Sound. It's a beautiful place. There's there were, you know, multi-million dollar homes on the beach because that's where the rich people lived and we had our little two-bedroom stucco-covered cinder blocks, <laughs> which was really nice when bad storms came because guess who got destroyed and guess whose house was built like a World War II bomb shelter. <laughs> but we would go down there, and until I was about five or six, we can go get in the water and do whatever. And then my parents would tell me, don't get in the water unless you check with us first. Why? Because depending on whether the currents were running and how they were going and where they came from, would depend on how many syringes washed up on the shore. Long Island Sound in the 80s was, <laughs> you needed like a tetanus shot just to look at it. Why? Sin. Why is there a desert? Sin. Garden gone. World trying to kill us. Brokenness. Not just in us, but in our neighbors, in our friends, in the weather, in the ground. This is why we have earthquakes and tornadoes and lightning strikes. I mean, all of this is a result of sin. Their hunger should be a reminder that, hey, McFly, something is broken here and it needs to be fixed. The bread, God fixing the problem in a supernatural manner, a way that no human being could understand it. They couldn't even look at me like, what do we do with it? I don't know, poke it or something. I don't know. It's proof that who solves humanity's greatest problems? God does. Not our wisdom. His planning, not our strength, his gracious provision and might. So, all right, here's where it gets fun. You ready? Verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat, and you shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. Now, I know you guys. You, you're all productive, industrious people, and you have your omer-sized measuring cup at home, right? Exactly. I had no idea what an omer was either, so I looked it up, and I found, I am not kidding, I have found the greatest explanation of how big an omer is, other than just flipping to the charts and measures table in the back of your Bible. All right, get your brain ready. This is complicated, and I'm not even kidding. Exodus 16.36 says that an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. According to the Jewish Encyclopedia of 1906, an ephah was defined as being 72 logs. The log was equal to the Sumerian minna, which was itself defined as 1 60th of a maris. The omer was thus equal to about 12 one hundredths of a maris. The maris was defined as being the quantity of water equal in weight to a light royal talent and was thus equal to about 30 liters, making the omer equal to 3.64 liters. Duh! <laughs> I read that like, could you have made that a little more complicated? Maybe. Just like a tiny bit. And the reason I read that is because the very next sentence... In traditional Jewish standards of measurements, then Omer was equivalent of the capacity of 43.2 eggs. <laughs> Who decided to get the jar out and be like, you know how we should measure that? Let's see how many eggs it'll hold. And then how did they decide what two-tenths of an egg was? Like, did they get the last egg in the top of the jar and then were like, because you know if two men were involved in this, they were doing this. That looks like a third, Jerry. No, nah, that's clearly two-tenths, Bob. I mean, who, what, why? Okay, so it's the capacity of 43.2 eggs, or what is also known as one-tenth of an ephah, which is three seeds. 
In dry weight, therefore, the Omer weighed between 1.56 kilograms to 1.77 kilograms. And you're going, we're Americans! We don't do kilograms. So I did the conversions. For us ugly Americans who despise the metric system, that is between 52 and 59 ounces, or 6 to 8 cups, depending on how you measured it out. <sighs> you see why I had to read that? I mean, that did, I'm like, it's a log. No, it's a log. Well, it's a minute. Stop it. Now, this is where the visual aids come from. You ready? This is what the Lord has commanded. Back to something important. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece, according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. For giggles, my wife loves you, okay? More than you will ever know, because she tried to do this in four different recipes. And it took us four tries to get this right. She made bread out of simple flour and um, salt, right? Flour, salt, and oil. That's it. What they would have had unleavened bread cooked on our pizza stone with the broiler it took longer than it should have for us to figure this out and make it work so it's actually not bad and, and we uh, because exodus describes it as being flavored with honey it tastes like the man the man it tastes like flavored with honey we flavored it a little so if you're really industrious and you would like to try some later you're, you're welcome to break off a piece uh it's flour is flour gluten-free so there's what it made you're right can you guys see this this is the visual aid portion of the program that is one cup of flour. And by the way, these are dense. Like, you eat one of these, and you know you ate something. Like, we, she and I split four because there's no, there's no air. There's no rising, so it's all nutrition. One cup makes that. So multiply that by eight, and that's what every person gets. You're putting this together. That's a lot of food. An omer per person? That's about seven cups of flour a day per person. So if you're us, we got four people in our family, we're loading up enough manna that we've got about 30 plus cups of flour. That's a lot of food. And the stuff's not bad. I mean, I could make a living eating on that, especially some quail, you know, make some soup or something, sop it up on the side. Now, why do I go to all of this trouble, and why has my wife loved you enough to, to make some, you know, some bread? I'll leave that out so we don't forget about it, because otherwise I will leave it there. And it is not bad, so if you want to break off a piece and try it later, you are welcome. Um, there's hand sanitizer. So, what's the lesson of that? John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Philippians 4. Paul talking about being provided for by the churches. I have received everything in full and have in abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from, a, received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to what? His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. They whined and they were hungry. God did not just give them enough bread so that their hunger pangs would go away. He gave them enough bread that they would eat. So the sons of Israel did so, 17, and some gathered much and some gathered little, depending again how many people in the house, 18. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. To prove my point, it's exactly what these verses are saying, right? And when we say as much as they should eat, that's not, oh, I got three bites. You're not turning into Oliver. Please, sir, I want some more. 
You knew it. You ha- I had to. I mean, if what, what, what other reference do you go to when you're talking about hungry people? You go to a little orphan kid with the porridge, right? No, you want more? Sorry. All right, I better stop now before something bad happens. <laughs> when I was, that, see, that's, that's, that's dear to my heart. When I was a kid, my favorite book, my grandfather, I, can't, I found it one time on Amazon, and I'm, I'm not buying it because it's like $100, and it's not worth that. But my grandfather had this book called No Dessert Until You Finish Your Mashed Potatoes. And it was a book explaining how kids see things that adults say. So when the cover says, no dessert until you finish your mashed potatoes, that's what the parent says. You can't have any dessert until you finish your mashed potatoes. And the kid looks at his plate, and the mashed potatoes are stacked a mile high in the sky. And it's like, you're filthy. You get in that tub right this instant. The kid looks at the tub, and the illustration is like bubbling cauldron, and there's stuff swimming in it. You know, you know stuff like that. That's not how God feeds his people. See, look at this. We're going to come back and make sense of this. Huh? <laughs> that's not how he feeds them. When he says, as much as they should eat, you got enough food that if you're hungry... Go get another piece of bread, boy. If you're hungry, go eat something. I tell my kids this. We make dinner. There's plenty for everybody. If you go home hungry, that's your fault. I mean, he has taken them to the Golden Corral. If you leave Golden Corral hungry, you know what? There is no hope for any of you. (laughs) That's not why you go to the Golden Corral. Now, how do you accomplish such a feat for a morally depraved wicked and greedy people. Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Again, what's the lesson? The bread is not about the bread. The bread is not about their hunger. It's about the provision of God, the satisfaction of the needs of humanity. And the needs of humanity are not food. They're not. They are righteousness and justification. James 4, this is the lesson you carry forward. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. This is something we've talked about. What is it? Uh, Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, here's the problem. Why can't I earnestly pray for God to send me hotter women? I'm purposely using something ridiculous and dumb. Because I'm married. I've made a covenant before God to a woman. I don't need another one. I shouldn't desire another one. I should desire what? The woman that God has given to me. Therefore, to pray for that and then go, God didn't give me what I asked for. You asked for something dumb and sinful. God's not going to give you things that are dumb and sinful. My wife is entirely embarrassed and I'm here for this. (laughs) So I'll just take a second. (laughs) See how wonderful it is to be married to me. Now you know why I tell you constantly, pray for my wife, she's married to an idiot, okay? I fully acknowledge this on a regular basis. No, (laughs) you're not supposed to giggle in agreement. (laughs) That's the best part. Yeah, see how how loved and respected I am? (laughs) So again, though, the breakdown is, 
when we go, well, God didn't give me the thing that I wanted. Well, is the thing that you wanted actually righteous? I mean, do we ever ask that question? Was the thing that you wanted actually a part of discipleship? Was the thing that you wanted actually for the uplifting of his kingdom, for the benefit of your soul, for the, for the working of the kingdom? If the answer is no, then you know what the thing you wanted was? Dumb and sinful. And again, God is not obligated to give you dumb and sinful things. He has already given you quite a lot. Again, the same lesson here applies. Israel, in their sin, grumbling and complaining, God answers the need and answers it with gracious provision. Does that mean they're justified in their complaints against God? No. It means they are unjustified in their complaints, and not only they're unjustified now, guess what's going to happen like five minutes from now? Because you know it's going to happen again. They're going to forget everything and do it again, forgetting the lesson, which is why part of this is written for you. This is what 1 Corinthians 4 is telling you. These things occur so that you may know, so that you may learn. You may see the poor example and go, Jesus, here's a good prayer. Please don't let me be like the unsaved that hate you. That, that's a good start, right? Start your day there every morning, and you might actually go in the right direction on occasion. So, 19. Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it until morning. All right. Why not? Why not? Lamentations. You know it's a good day when you get a Lamentations reference. When was the last time anybody even read Lamentations, huh? That's what I thought. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood in bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And we wrote a song about the next line. Great is your faithfulness. How did Jeremiah learn that? Let no man leave any of it until morning. If you're Israel and you've just gone three days and now you've got jars of manna that you can make piles of bread out of, what are you going to be tempted to do? <laughs> you probably would. I, it might be three more days before we go someplace else to get food. What am I saying when I say that? That this miraculous bread that God has provided to us today, he cannot possibly provide for us tomorrow. I say it out loud like that, because when you say it like that, it sounds really dumb, doesn't it? Because it is. It is dumb. This miraculous bread from heaven, the bread of angels. God can't give this to us again. We better make sure we keep it as long as possible. Um, Jada, a while back, John's going to sell it. It's not every day the depravity of someone's heart is just revealed openly. So, <laughs> you gotta love it. You gotta love it. My daughter got into this show called Alone on the History Channel. Basically, they drop people off in the middle of nowhere, and then they like they get ten things that they can have, and then basically the last person to beg to go home and cry, "Mommy wins." and you win money at the end. And it's kind of an interesting experiment in humanity to watch because one guy, they go in regularly and check on them for medical, but other than that, they're by themselves completely. And we watched one of the seasons, and they, got, they brought this guy out. They took him out after like eight weeks because he was literally starving to death. I mean, he took his shirt off for the medical exam. It's like, I can see organs. Like, that's not healthy. And what was such a big deal is they told him this, like, you can't go, you got to go home. You're not, you're, you're, it's not safe for you to stay here. And he's like, but I have food. And he did. He had 22 
dried fish fillets while he's starving to death. You know what he was worried about doing? Eating tomorrow. I need to have food to eat tomorrow. I need to have food to eat tomorrow. And what was he not doing? He was not eating today. Literally almost starved himself to death where the medical team's like, no, no. They, they hospitalized him, put him on an IV. The guy watched the videos later and he's like, ah, I don't know what was going on. Like you were hungry and your brain was shutting down. That's what was going on. Same lesson here for Israel. Don't leave it. Don't worry about tomorrow, Matthew chapter 6. Tomorrow has enough of its problems. Worry about today. God has provided you food. Eat. He has provided so that you may eat of it, which means if you're hungry, don't look at that jar and go, but there may not be any more miracle bread from God in the morning. Eat it. What will there be? There will be more miracle bread for God in the morning. Once again, it's what 1 Corinthians 10 is explaining. These things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. Jeremiah learns, Jeremiah learns the lesson that he can write in Lamentations, that God's mercies are new every morning. Why? Because he read Exodus. If you want to understand the prophets, if you want to understand the application of the law, if you want to understand the wisdom literature, I said this in Sunday school, I'll say it again. If you want to make sense of your Bible, understand the work of God from creation to redemption in Exodus. It's a picture of the work of God in the life of humanity up to this day. If you want to understand why the prophets were calling the people back, not to wrote religion and sacrifices, but to a faith and a trust in God, it's because the initial relationship of humanity to God was what? One of faith. These people are God's people because they are walking in his ways and trusting in him. What are his ways? Right now, his ways are as simple as when the pillar goes... We follow. When the pillar goes left, we go left. It might be three days in the wilderness with no food, but you know what we're doing? We're going where the pillar goes. This matters, Christian, because while we're mocking Israel for being hungry after three days in the wilderness, that's their temptation. Yours could be far worse. Far worse. And I have no idea what it may be, and I have no idea when it will come, but you know the only way you'll be prepared for it is if you're following faithfully in the way he would have you to go. And that matters matters. Verse 20. But they did not listen to Moses. Mm. And some of and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. All right. We're going to break that sentence down into three sections. Duh, uh, and duh. Okay. First, duh. They did not listen to Moses. And all God's people went, duh. What, every time we turn around, what's going on? Humanity is not listening to the commands of God. Exodus 32, I love this summary. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. <laughs> I just, you try to picture God in the Bible. Like, you, like you, if you ever, you ever see that show the, the, um, from the 19, was it the 1960s, 1950s, the Bible, where they did the story from creation to um, Noah? Oh, what was the guy's name? The guy who played Moses, or not the guy who played Noah, is the guy who um, who directed the film. You have to go look it up. It's literally called the Bible. No, it's not Cecil B. DeMille. He did the Ten Commandments, but it's literally called the Bible. And every time God speaks, it's like this. It's a commanding voice, but it's a gentle voice, and you know it's God. And like when God is it the Ten Commandments, where it's the booming voice, Moses, Moses. You know, you get that voice from heaven come down. 
you try to imagine God speaking like that when you read your Bible, and then you read, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. <laughs> you almost picture God as a, as, a, as a man looking over his children like, <sighs> and every father has looked at his children at some point and just, nope. <laughs> yeah, that's their mother's fault right there. <laughs> so there's the first duh. They didn't listen. Ew. It became foul and bred worms. I'm going to go with yuck. In other words, though, it didn't go well. I can't imagine why. Romans chapter 2. Do you, think kind, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Because of the stubbornness and unrepentance of your heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation and righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. See, what separated the Israelite who ate all the bread and had an empty omer jar versus the Israelite who set some of it aside to eat some bread in the morning? What made the difference between those two? Faith. The Israelite who had nothing left listened to Moses and went, God gave us a bunch of bread. You know what, kids? It's been three days since we ate. You know what we're doing? As Sinbad once said, we have an apartheid. And we're going to eat. And some of the Israelites went, I know you're hungry, kids, but we need some miracle bread for later. Again, you say it like that, it just sounds really dumb. And Moses was angry with them. Which again, we say, duh, what did I just tell you? You almost feel like Moses is dealing with children at this point. Like he's got to walk into the camp every day and go, what did I say? Not to save any of it until morning. And what did you do? We saved some till morning. And how did that work out for you? It didn't go well. What are you going to do next time? We're going to listen. You've had this lecture with your children, right? <laughs> I feel... John Houston, that's who it is. Yes, that's who... Yeah, he actually plays Noah in that film. Thank you. Moses is annoyed. Why is Moses annoyed, though? Is he annoyed because they don't listen? No. Habakkuk 1 gives you a reason why he's annoyed. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why are these people here? Because God has redeemed them. Why do they have bread to eat? Because God has fed them. Why are they leaving the leftovers in disobedience to God? Because they're not trusting in him. Moses is seeing the lack of faith and condemning it rightly. So, verse 21, it ends this way. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. Of course they did. What else would you expect when God said, here's your bread, now don't leave any of it till morning. What does that mean's coming? God's not bringing a people out into the wilderness to starve them to death. Therefore, he will provide for his people. Now, again, you want to you bring this forward to the New Testament? If you know one prayer from the Bible, which one do you know? Our Father, who art, and you, and you all know it that way too, right? You, for all, for some reason, we all memorize it in the King James. Where the, I never owned a King James Bible until I was an adult. And for reasons known only to somebody, I quoted in King James. Just wrap your brain around that. But who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, 
Where did we get this idea of daily bread, I may wonder? Being given from God in Israel. You want to understand your Bible, understand God's work in redemption. Give us this day our daily bread. Luke changes it. Give us each day our daily bread. Same concept, same idea. Again, what are we hearkening back to? Every Israelite, when they hear the idea of daily bread, you know what they're thinking? Their entire life is centered around this work in Exodus. This is the thing that defines them as a nation. You want to understand your Bible, understand the first five books, and understand God working. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. That just seems mean, doesn't it? Like, you can't sleep in anymore. Because if you don't get out in time, the miracle bread is gone. <laughs> and you go hungry that day. What is God teaching? Why, why do this? Why not just let it relax? Why not? I mean, is it, what's it hurting, right? Just sitting on the ground. It's not like it's bothering anybody. Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is why your Proverbs in the New Testament, James, he puts it this way. Judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment will be merciless. In other words, if you sleep in and you don't go collect your manna that day, what are you going to be? I'm going to be hungry. But if I'm obedient, and if I walk, and I trust in the provision of God, what will I have? Not just food. Every day. Like, enough food that I would have had eight of these containers. And my wife would have eight of these containers. And my kids would have eight of these containers. There'd be 32 of these things running around my house while we go pick up some quail. I mean... <laughs> We're not every day, every day, every day, not someday, every day, there's food. If Israel doesn't start marching soon, you know what they're going to do? <laughs> all that flour, as I know, we're living on carbs. We're all going to be, we're going to be rolling to the next stop on the hill. That's why they had to stop at the mountain. That's why God, because they were rolling. And when they got to the mountain, they hit the mountain and they stopped. <laughs> Just want to make sure I have that mental image in your head. You know, you're all boom. You are welcome. Now, the reason I point all this out is we, have made, we made a big deal when we went through the plagues. We made a big deal of talking about mercy in the face, in the, in the midst of judgment, right? Judgment upon Egypt. When the water turned to blood, where did it turn to blood? It turned to blood everywhere. It wasn't until about plague four that you started to get the distinction between God and his people. And even then, were they removed from Egypt so that God could do the plague upon Egypt and then bring them back? No. He protected them there. So if you went to Goshen, you were prepared. If you did not go to Goshen, you were in the midst of judgment. So if you were an Israelite working at the stables and didn't get your butt home, you know what you had to deal with when the hailstorm came? You had to deal with hail. It's not like you were walking down the street with a little bubble around you. No, 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 no. So we made a big deal about mercy in the midst of judgment. God, God rescuing and redeeming a people in a world that is being condemned. That's important for the Christian in our world today, right? Because God's judgment is upon all sin. His wrath will be poured out, and a world that is broken is going to have problems. And we are called to walk faithfully in the midst of it. But in the post-Exodus world, we also have to be mindful of something else. Judgment in the midst of mercy. We walk 
as redeemed people in the grace of God. And yet we walk in and out of lives that the wrath of God abides upon. And we have to remember that each and every day. This is not just an unconnected thing. Like there's us and we have this little bubble around us and nothing bad ever happens. No. In our circles, sin affects us. I mean, I, I'm not picking, but as a perfect example, if there's ever a time when somebody shouldn't have a health problem, shouldn't it be Sunday morning at church? Make sure you pray for Mike and Jan. Were they going home or to the hospital? They're going to the hospital. Something's not right. He's going to go get it checked out. If there's ever a point where it should just be, why does that happen? Is Mike sinning and he needs something to work on? I, I doubt it. He might be. I don't know. But that's just sin in general. The body breaks down. He was exposed to chemicals and things 40 years ago that nobody should be exposed to. Why? Because we were fighting a war. Gee, where does war come from? Sin. Where did the divisions of humanity come from? Sin. So 40, 50 years later, Mike deals with the health problems that come from it. We're affected by the ravages of sin day in and day out. Does that mean we're not God's people? Does that mean he's forgotten us? Does that mean he's not protecting us into his kingdom anymore? No. It means that sin is real and its effects are deadly and dangerous on everyone who has tasted of its evil. And that includes us. But by God's grace, by the mercies of Christ, his taking of our penalty, his applying of his righteousness, we stand in the midst of that. And we persevere in spite of what goes on around us and sometimes what goes on in us. And that is what Israel is teaching and what Israel is supposed to be learning. Again, there's always a remnant that's going to get it wrong. But the, the beauty of Israel, there's always a remnant that's going to get it right. Because as we, as we mourn as these people continually, you know, well, we kept some of the manna, we were hungry. There were Israelites that followed Moses and said, you know what? I'm terrified right now because we haven't eaten in three days, but said, don't keep any of it. So you know what we're going to do? Kids, eat up. We're just, we're having a party. We're just, we're just eating all of it, and we're going to trust that God is not going to drag us out into this desert to starve us to death, and it will be okay. Christian, welcome to your world day in and day out. Because yes, you are in the midst of judgment, but you are under grace. And as you walk faithfully in Christ, you are walking faithfully towards a kingdom that will be there. Because it is what God has promised to his people. Doesn't always feel like it. And some days it feels like it less and less and less. But it is still there because his mercies are new every morning. And you today have the grace of God to face the problems that are coming at you today. Problems that are coming at you Tuesday may be ten times worse. But you know what will happen on Tuesday? You will have the grace that morning to deal with the problems that God is allowing to come your way. And that will not change until he returns or calls us all home. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done and the work that you are doing, for the mercy you have demonstrated and for the grace you still pour out on us today. Lord, we ask that you'd strengthen us, that we would walk faithfully, trusting in you day by day for your provision, for your mercy, that we would know you, love you, trust you, and serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
I wander so aimless, life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Once like a blind man, I wandered alone. Worry and fear I claim for my own. Then like a blind man, it got me back to sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Come on now, Bill. I was a fool to wander and stray, for straight is the gate and away. Now I have traded the wrong for the right. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I said, praise the Lord, I saw the I saw the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I said, praise the Lord, I saw the light. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Uh, Cameron just called Jan. They went to the house, and Mike laid down. He's feeling better. He hasn't had flare-ups in years, but he said based on how he's feeling and how his stomach's felt this week, he's wondering if his colitis is flaring back up. So he's going to try to go get that looked at this week. 
So be in prayer for Mike, please. But he's laying down and feeling a little bit better. But the way it's coming in waves like that, that sounds like what he used to get with colitis flare-ups. So, again, be in prayer for Mike. Council, please stick around. We'll meet over here. A couple of things we got to go through, make, uh, make some plans. Um, let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave, we ask that you guard us, keep us strong, keep us safe, ground us in your word, that no matter what may befall us in this world, we would trust and walk in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I do now, but check. Check, one, two.